Hang on. Hang on. Halt. To this might be a podcast, the song by song podcast about the greatest band of all time. They might be giants. I don't know. Was that my Mr. Claw voice? Not quite there. I'll work on it. I'm your host, Greg Simpson, and I have returning to the show after two years. I don't know. It's Alex Reed, co author of The Flood 33 and the third book. Uh, and we're going to talk this time about Mr. Claw. Here we go. A claw is a claw, and, and, and nobody has seen a talking claw. Nobody has seen a talking claw. Unless, unless that claw is the is the famous, the famous. Unless that claw is the famous Mr. Claw. I'm doing great. I am super, super stoked to claw it up, to claw our way through the song. Have you ever attempted the Mr. Claw voice? Oh, sure. Um, I spent most of my childhood just walking around making weird noises with my mouth. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I was, you know, <laughs> doing like funny voices and I was beatboxing, you know, when I was in like, I think, I think part of this is two things I can remember. One, when I was like five years old, I saw one of the original making of star wars documentaries where they had a long uh, section foley work yeah yeah exactly interviewing ben burt who did all the r2d2 noises and all the foley work and it showed him you know using a tape recorder to get the sound of cars from an overpass uh, to make a wookie sound and recording elephants and playing it backwards and, uh-huh. I remember and using thinking, those steel heavy steel wires for the oh, absolutely uh, laser yeah. sounds and the yeah uh, yeah and the the lightsabers hitting each other so I was completely transfixed by this, and I just wanted to make noise, right? And there were other, like, little things along the way. You know, you see the the scene in Ferris Bueller's Day Off where he samples himself barfing and plays it low on the synthesizer and things like that. Or and also then, the Cosby show, the Stevie Wonder episode. Do you remember this? I, they, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and Stevie Wonder was doing all kinds of cool stuff. He also made appearances on, like, Sesame Street and things like that. But yeah. Yes, he, would always, he would always show this off, right? So this was, like, He the samples Rudy. He samples yeah. Rudy saying something, and I was like, like, there's a higher and higher and they're all just like, oh, it's so cool. Yeah, I think he was using a Fairlight synthesizer at the time. Um, and um, and so like that was that was the, you know, the moment for me, like, actually, this is a thing that Flans and I talked about when I was writing the 33 and a third with my friend Elizabeth. Um, Flans was talking about how in the early and mid 1980s, you know, if you had um, an emu emulator, um, if you had an early sampler, 
none of this idea of like cheesiness or datedness that we now imprint onto it, or for that matter, like vintage cool, none of that was in the air. It was all just straight up futurism, right? He thought that, you know, they were, that they were the most futuristic thing in the world. And it wasn't that it was hokey to play with a tape machine in the background. It was that they were the future. And this is actually going to get, I think, a little bit into the Mr. Claw business in a little bit. But um, then the other thing is that um, I got into hip hop music really, really young. I remember... Oh, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Wait, how old are you? We're around the same age, right? I was I was born in uh, the final months of 1979. Okay, all right. I'm yeah. 81. So yeah, we're, yeah, yeah. you know, you were, so rap existed before you were born, but it was very much in its infancy while you were in your infancy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you're getting into like Run DMC era? Yeah, um, and I remember going to, I remember being in first grade and going to like a, um, a talent show, you know, because the whole school would have like a talent show, an assembly where everybody, you know, got up and did a thing. Yeah, and there were oh, yeah the, I, I run those most of the schools I've been in. Right, right, <laughs> right, right, exactly. And so, like, I remember there was, like, a group of, like, really old kids, probably in third or fourth grade, uh, who, who got up and did a... Um, um, a censored, bowdlerized version of Paul Revere by the Beastie Boys. Oh man! Yeah, <laughs> this this may have been like 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 second grade for me. Now that I'm putting putting the dates together on this, but it seems any like rate, Brass Monkey would have been a good choice. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I didn't know the record at the time. All I knew is yeah. that like one of the kids had his hands up to his mouth and was going. Yeah. <laughs> And I was thinking, this is the greatest thing, <laughs> you know, because I'm like neuroatypical. I have, I have, you know, ADHD. I've got something that you could maybe characterize as being some sort of like shouts random stuff out kind of, you know, thing going on with my brain. <laughs> I've got and my so like, Tourette's. Yeah, cool. exactly. So like, it's like when I saw somebody doing this one, I'm like, oh, you can, you can weaponize this. You, you can do something <laughs> with this. <laughs> I'm like, yes, this is <laughs> like everything. It reminds me of the Simpsons where. Oh, what is it? Say the uh, Bart has like uh, this microphone where it like makes everything sound like a rap song, and like you talking to it, and it's got a beat and all this. Yeah. And then Homer's like, "Let me borrow that," and he's like trying to gather up his militia for whatever. I think the the bears, like the, where they're trying to get rid of the bears in town or whatever. And he's in the back of a car, like everyone return to your homes. But it's like, and the kids are like, it's hammer. And they all run up and they're like dancing behind the car. He's like, return to your homes. Yeah. So like, so, so to, to your question, have I ever done the Mr. Claw voice? Yes. Like, um, it's funny. I don't even, so I'm, I'm a, I'm a musician now. I make records. I sing on these records. Um, and I'm a teacher. I, I speak all the time. This is funny. I don't actually like my voice. Right. But I realize okay. that it's the only voice that I have and I better learn, to, you know, <laughs> learn to use it in all the ways that I, um, all the ways that I can. Right. So, so it's, you know, it, I play the hand that I've been dealt. And so, yeah, like all my life, you know, a claw is a claw, right? Or, or whatever it is. a talking claw. Right. The kind of, the kind of, you know, total incredulous, uh, or rather in, incredulity, uh, in that voice. So yeah, I mean, yes, I've, I've done all kinds of, you know, weird, weird voices, unless that claw, you know. Um, unless. And <laughs> the, the way that, the, like the cadence of these things, it's like so bizarre, like, when do you stress the word unless, like the way unless. they do? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Unless. Well, it, unless. <laughs> it, of course, reminds me of, um, you know, old, like, radio announcers and carnival barkers. And um, when you think about, um, 
the They Might Be Giants discography, so much of what's clearly going on in the headspace of these songs is an awareness of um, cultural past, right? You know, you, mm-hmm. you, you, you hear all these references to um, weird little things from the 60s and the 50s and occasionally the 40s and 30s, right? You know, you think about the way that you and I were raised by people who had lived through the 1950s, 1960s. And they're going to have their own weird little um, routines and references. And so, like, my, you know, my, my mom would sing the Howdy Doody Show theme. I've never seen the Howdy oh, Doody God. Show. Right? You was, never? Was, really? Never? I've never actually watched it. I mean, like, I know what it looks like, right? Um, right. But, but it, you know, it was, it was off the air by, what, 1960? Something like that? Um, uh, yeah. I'll look it up while you're talking. Right. So, <laughs> <I'm curious> <laughs> so, um, so there's, there's always like a few generations of cultural history um, that get fed into our ears. And one of the funny things, of course, is that people change the way they speak over time, right? You and I are like, you know, 40-something white guys. And so we're really like at the very, very rear guard of how culture works. But if you look at how like language <laughs> We talk about, we got t- the coolest, <laughs> hippest voice. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, like, if you look at how language, you know, works, you know, you, you always look to like, you know, the, um, the young queer community, the young black community. Etc. And this is where like new things happen, but um, but again, you know, um, having grown up with all these old like tropes of, um, you know, it's a bird, it's a plane, no, it's Superman, you know, this these yeah. kinds of things, um, or like Cas- the like Casablanca era voice, like, oh, absolutely, never get me, oh, yeah, and they all got that sound, and like, yeah, that is interesting. Like I've watched videos about that because it's like I'm not like a filmmaker, but that stuff is interesting to me, yeah. you know, just in the creative type kind of brain. And, uh, like, something about, like, the way everyone talked, it was because they were all trained to be, like, uh, actors like a stage actor would be. And your voice needs to be loud, definitive, understandable. And, like, you never saw people, like, whispering. I wouldn't say never, but, like, that wasn't a typical thing. You had to speak very clearly at all times. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of that. And that's, of course, um, even, even if... so. If, if we really want to get into this, uh, the condenser microphone is developed in the early 1930s. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. And <laughs> let's go way back. This and, episode will be done by 1130. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. So like, it's so like I, I teach music technology and also my, my doctoral dissertation was on the timbre of the human voice. Right. So this is like my absolute vein here. Right. Is that somewhere uh, I could read? Yeah. 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 You can find it online. It's called, um, Oh gosh, what's it called? Uh, the musical semiotics of timbre and the human voice. Could you um, send me a link later? Yeah, probably so. I'll find nice. it somewhere. I got a road um, trip coming up. I can read it. Oh golly! Um, and um, the um, I'm dorky too. I mean, I'm yeah, dorky yeah. enough. Go for I it. I teach at the much younger level, but uh, I'm actually starting a new school that has pre-K classes too. Oh, that's so. exciting! That's exciting. I'll teach four-year-olds about the timbre of the human voice. Yeah, I mean, every you can just like everyone put your hand on your neck. Yeah, yeah, and feel the vibrations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like, you Love know, it. what what happens if you try to say the word like peanut butter sandwich with your tongue stuck to the top of your, you know, top of your mouth as if you were eating a peanut butter sandwich? <laughs> you know, and then the kids all start laughing. Oh, yeah. What's the that. joke? Uh, I was born on a pirate ship with a bunch of apples. Oh, I <laughs> it sounds I like I was born on a pile of shit with a bunch oh, of assholes. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, all right. You yeah. hold your tongue. Right. Okay. So, so point being, though. 
sorry. <laughs> for like, for like, yes, everybody was, you know, stage actors uh, up until r- recording. But even then, you know, the early recording things were basically you had like a dead membrane and a microphone that you had to just literally vibrate with the the sheer volume of your voice. This is this is why like records from the 1910s and 1920s, you know, they all sound like this because you've got somebody right. like you know, barking across the room, trying to break through the uh, the instrumental backing. None of these things mm-hmm. could hold any bass. None of them could record any bass. Um, and, and so, like, and the to voices- take it to TMBG zone, uh, like if you've seen, like I did the "I Can Hear You" episode yes, yes. forever ago with Franz Nikolai, and they did that live on the Daily Show. Uh, I think it was the Millennium uh, yeah. special, and you can see they might be giants recording uh with all acoustic instruments into a guy that's like doing the wax cylinder thing and there's the giant uh horn of the of the record the thing is recording you you gotta all into the horn you got a natural mix like of a live band and try to get every instrument heard through this horn onto a wax cylinder with no electricity it's nuts yeah yeah i mean like that's how it was done and so once they finally in the early 1930s Developed microphones that um, that were like artificially amplified, basically, you know, the the condenser mic that you and I are at this moment using each. Suddenly you could get the sound of somebody whispering right up close. <laughs> and this was the sexiest thing anyone had ever, ever oh, heard. Yeah. This is this is why they heard, you know, why why suddenly like, you know, Bing Crosby takes off because they, they could croon. Right. Because like some guy yelling from back here is not very like, you know, arousing. But and you get musical, like, not very musical. Right. You get like hundred year old, 90 year old ASMR stuff, though. As soon as, as, soon <laughs> yeah. as you get like, you know, someone going chestnuts roasted <laughs> yeah. on an open fire. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it sounds like and it sounds like easily, you know, like 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 mouthing your ear, right? And you're going, woo. Right. Yeah, the um, uh, the the precursors to Iron Glass. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> so so like technology changes 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 the way that we, you know, changes the way that we do this uh, do this stuff. And like similarly, you know, as soon as like autotune came in, you know, you remember this uh, in the early two thousands, you started getting um, you know, students who tried to like sing like auto tune to do like ah, 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 you know, like bouncing uh-huh. between notes. Do and, you like, believe in life after life? Yes, yes, exactly. And like ten years later, they had gotten pretty good at it, right? I mean, like like kids can do this stuff now. And you know, you listen to like trap music where you know you get people like mumbling through auto tune, going oh ana ana ana, and like that's now how kids are like learning to sing. Yeah. Um, hey, you know, I can do and, a three note melody. Right, right, right. You, um, you get kids who like you know came of age during lockdown, listening to Billie Eilish, and uh, uh, and so they're like, oh wow, I, I don't ever need to do anything other than just whisper now. There's you know there's yeah. there, there's no volume, and so instead you just get this like very very close, very very controlled kind of a thing. Did you ever hear my parody of speaking of COVID? I did a parody of Bad Guy called Smart Guy. Oh, good. Uh, and I wrote it. Um, it's it's still the most viewed YouTube video I've ever posted for any Surely. of my channels. It's on the Mr. Simpson YouTube channel for Pine Village and Williamsport Elementary, is where I no longer teach. Still up there though. Um, and so I basically weird ailed it. I found like I just found. I mean, I didn't go full out doing the whole track. I just found a karaoke version, instrumental track, 
Uh, it sounded just like the original, and then I did the vocals over top of it. So I rewrote the lyrics with our principal that was using like the script that you read uh, before tests, like incorporating some of those lines, but then also like making it funny and kind of like kind of like you know like a pep song, like like jock jams for kids about to take a standardized test. And we were about to take standardized set all those dumb tests right when COVID hit. So I'm like, I'm still gonna do this. Like I'm still gonna do this project. Mm-hmm. Kids loved it, and even like three years later, they're like, Can we watch? smart guy and like i find i got the full yellow uh sweatsuit i kicked through like yellow the the teacher paper on the big rolls i put it over my kitchen door and kicked through it at the beginning and then i even like you know using iMovie uh reversed it at the one point where she goes back through the wall and then uh yeah you, you should watch it it came out great but the point is that it was hard for me as someone not of that generation of whisper singing to do this. And I was, I was doing like in my lyrics, like the four part harmonies that are in there and you're Mm -hmm. harmonizing yourself and you're singing like that. And I was like, man, this is much harder than I think our generation would realize. Be like, they don't know how to sing. It's just a different way to do it. She's a good singer. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, Post Malone isn't, but you know, she is. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, so uh so Mr. Claw. Um <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess before we even get to the song, are there any updates to your fandom story? People can go back and listen to Hideaway Folk Family episode. Uh and people should if they haven't already, because you tell the whole story of um working with Elizabeth Sanford on the thirty-three and a third book on Flood. Um you're, you're meeting in a, a, a diner, some sort of restaurant, right, with the Johns, talking to them for a long time, yep. and that whole process. Because yep. currently, you two are the only people that have put out a book about <laughs> They Might Be Giants, which is crazy for a for any band that's been around for 40 years. Like, I just got a new Jesus and Mary Chain uh, biography that came out a couple years ago. I'm just starting to read. Um, really good. And they have a 33 and a third. And, but how does They Might Be Giants not have, like, a biography because you guys were you know there's 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 focus on you know their whole story those 33 and the thirds usually do like a quick you know like this is how the band formed and then like the rest of the book is that one album yeah um but they don't have like you know they should have like a 300 page you know biography out yeah i mean a um give it time i think that there are some really you know like when i when i think about what you're doing what john julius is doing what the um uh what the don't let start podcast guys are doing i mean like i think that that it's just kind of a question of time before there's enough like you know sort of critical biomass uh in in the in the 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 serious interest in the band for there to be you know um something more written i mean i've thought about it i've actually had um some friends of mine had like a uh good uh, transcription software they had. They work in L.A. and they work in kind of like the movie biz and all this and uh, movie and audio professionally. And um, they were talking about this software. Like, it was pretty expensive, but, like, I could get transcripts of, like, all my episodes, like, run the episodes through these and get it in in type. Because I was actually, yeah, I mean, maybe it was, like, a couple years ago I was seriously considering, like, doing um, what... um, Tom Brahan of Stereogum has done with his number ones column. I don't know if you read the number ones. I do. I do. Yeah. Yeah. And he recently put out a book, which is essentially like taking like, I can't remember how many, like 20 of those that he's talked about specifically and then using them to like cover like the scope of pop music, basically. I've been meaning to buy it. I haven't bought it. 
Um, the, but I love the his chal- article. The challenge is always the editing when you're doing something like this, right? Because if this is if this is 250 episodes deep into it, you know, and each each episode is at least 60 minutes long, you know, you've got yourself what like a 5,000 page book there if you're just transcribing it. Yeah, and, uh, I think the idea was kind of like I was inspired by his. Yeah, like I yeah, take like yeah. some of the best episodes and not necessarily the ones with, with like famous people but like the episodes with no, you like i like ones, doing episodes ones with that you are representative because, yeah yeah um, i mean like i'm like hideaway I'm, folk family would be a good one like a good first album represent like maybe focus on like two songs from each album and then use yeah. those to talk about the whole like a, a thread of how the band's career has gone that's that that's kind of what um um what the new Bono book is, where he takes, I think, uh, you know, 40 songs from U2's back catalog and talks about each of them. Um, so, Isn't there yeah. a Dylan book that's kind of along those lines, too? Didn't he put out probably, something recently probably. about songwriting, like his favorite yeah. songs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although, although that's... that's uh, anyhow, okay. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> updates updates to my fandom. Here's, yeah. here's actually a funny thing. Um, I was just hanging out at a game night the other day. Uh, and this was well, a game... Like board games? Board games, yeah, yeah. Cool. We, I mean, like we were we were playing like super old school like categories kind of stuff, and oh, this was um, categories, right? I, it's it's a nice simple dynamic. It's it's great. It's fun. It's creative. Um, you know what has also aged well is Beyond Balderdash. The original Balderdash is too limited, but Beyond Balderdash has aged quite well. Okay, so yeah, we were like taboo is our favorite. <laughs> we were we were hanging out playing like random board games, and the we in question here is. Uh, me and uh, a bunch of my spouse's friends who all work at the laser and solid state physics lab at Cornell. Right? <laughs> so, you know, a bunch of like real working class folk, just <laughs> <laughs> a bunch so, of dumbasses, you know? Right. Right. So, so we're, 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 we're sitting around, you know, playing, playing goofy board games. And I happen on this day to be wearing a, the might be giant shirt. I only own one or two of them. Um, uh, this is actually one of the ones that I got from like when they're like, hey, pay five bucks and get three random t-shirts thing like a year ago. So I did that. I got three random t-shirts. One of them nice. I didn't like at all. And the other one I wear, you know, semi-regularly. I'm wearing this one. And and this one guy who's, who's playing with us, you know, is kind of looking at my shirt. He's like, they might be giants. Is that a band? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're based out of New York. You know, they uh, were formed in the early 1980s. And I did not say I wrote a book about them, but um, but I you know I just like I know you hate to be that guy. It's like right, right. actually, yes, yes. They're 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 a band. I said, and he said, yeah, I think that I was a roadie for one of their shows. And I was like, oh, really? Tell (laughs) tell me about that. And he's like, and he's like, yeah, I was I was in college, and I was I was spending my summer. Uh, sophomore, uh, sophomore summer on campus uh, at Dartmouth, and I helped you know them run this one show. And I'm like, wow, this would have been August 1992 because I grew up mm. in Hanover, New Hampshire, and that was the first concert I ever went to. And you and I, oh, wow, right? This guy from the Laser and Solid State Physics Lab, uh, and I met and happened to acknowledge that we were in the same room of 200 people, you know, that's bonkers. 30 plus years ago, um, which wow. was, uh, which was super, super fun. Just one of these little fortuitous, like little weird happenstance things. And, uh, and you know, and as soon as I said, yeah, August, 1992, he was like, get out. So, uh, <laughs> you know, that, that isn't like a major update in my fandom, but it was absolutely a funny little moment of synchronicity, um, and happenstance. And I love yeah. it when things like that happen. Have you seen them? Uh, did you see them on the Flood 30th slash 33rd uh, anniversary <laughs> I tour? I did, yes. Yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's funny. So, I mean, at, the, at, at this point, I've seen them um, 
several times, right? Many times. Uh, and um, they were coming through my hometown of Ithaca, which is actually the town that Flansburg's family is from. Um, if you look at, uh, uh, I mean, like um, the Cornell University store, the architecture for it was designed by his grandfather, or sorry, uh, by his father, stuff like that. Yeah, and his, so cool. And his grandfather's buried here and things like that. So, um, and, and I'm not sure he may have been born here, but I'm not actually 100% sure on that one. But, um, but they're, they're coming through Ithaca and Ithaca is the kind of town that they play always because it's a college town. And so they have played here probably a half dozen times over the years. And I had already seen them once, uh, in Ithaca. Um, in fact, Elizabeth and I did a, a reading from our book, you know, a few shows ago. Yeah. This was before the pandemic. But anyhow, last year they did come through town. And it was on a weekend that I wasn't sure if I was going to be around, and I had like just been getting over COVID, so I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to make it, so I didn't buy a ticket. And then uh, that morning, I just felt great, and I didn't have any plans, you know, uh, as it as it turns out. And I'm like, gosh, I bet I bet I could just go down there and see if anybody has an extra ticket. So I went down uh, to the venue the night of the show. And someone had a little sign saying, hey, I'm selling my extra ticket, you know, 20 bucks or whatever. And I said, yes, I would like to go see They Might Be Giants in concert. <laughs> was like the nice venue thing. close to your place? Like, was it super yeah, inconvenient? Yeah, because yeah, for us, like... It, it's a one-mile walk from my house. Yeah, yeah. like, I wouldn't yeah. drive an hour to Indianapolis hoping to get a ticket. Like, yep, pretty no, safe to was, say these days that there are scalpers. Yeah, so this, this, this was just like a really... This, this was like a super, like, fun thing where I showed up on a total whim, I was like, hey, I'll do this. Yes, I got a ticket. I walked in, and then like 45 seconds after I took my seat, a great seat, uh, they came on stage, and I'm like, great. This is this is awesome. I love this. You know, just like being Snatch able to like, walk to. And then yeah, I mean, it felt, it felt so local um, in a way that rarely do you get to have an experience of a band at that level that feels really local anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what, when did, uh, if only there was some way to find out the last time we talked. No, I've just, <laughs> did, I mean, just off the top of my head, I can't remember. Did book come out between our episodes? Uh, did that probably. Come out probably, yeah. Or? I mean, like, I think, I think so. Yep. Yeah, because uh, I don't remember if we talked about book. Just, just general, uh, your thoughts about book as a whole. You dig oh, gosh. it? You hate it? <laughs> um. Let me let me remind myself of the track listing on book here. Book has dog on it, right? No, that is my no? murdered remains. Oh no! Oh no! Okay, so like I loved my murdered remains. I thought that was um, quite good. Um, yeah. All right. Now I'm looking at book. Oh yes, book has synopsis for late. Con- yes, we talked before book. Okay. book. I'm seeing it was uh, yeah. like yeah. we talked in like May. It came out in June. Uh, the episode of 2021, and then book came out in November of 2021. So yes, it came out um, after we talked. Yeah, gosh, um, I will probably need to give some more time to book before I um, feel the same affection for it that I have felt for some of the other records. Um, Isn't that how it goes with every band of every new record of every band that you've loved for your life, where you're like, or I don't know, are there bands that you've loved for your whole life where a new record comes out and you're like, this is the best ever on the first listen? There are actually, it yeah? does happen. Give me an I mean, example. like I, I had, I mean, it, every album is different, but like my murdered remains, I loved it instantly. Right. Um, I pers- gosh, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying to be, uh, book felt to me like, um, 
<laughs> it felt sad. Book book felt sad to well, me, right? It's a COVID written album. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um and and my murdered remains, yes, it's dealing with like mortality and stuff, but it's dealing with mortality, you know, um with the pose of, you know, the guy riding the bomb at the end of Doctor Strange Love waving his hat yeah! around. <laughs> Right, you know, there's 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 a Boom. sense of like plowing headlong. Um, book like that. book feels to me a little <laughs> bit a little bit more defeated, um, and so I will mm. have to I'll have to give it um, another 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 try. Um, well, let me just tell you this. So yeah, I made a point of when book came out to like let everyone digest it, and then two months, three months in. I started doing, I did a whole string of episodes about book. I also yeah. did a Patreon where we talked about the actual book that came with book. I don't know. Did you get that? The actual book? Uh, I've seen it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It is uh, pretty cool. Um, I wouldn't say it's essential, but it is very interesting to like for super fans. It's essential. I, I, I'd say that you should get it. Um, but uh, anyway, so looking through my scores, let me find this string of book stuff I did. Um, I think If Day for Winnipeg is one of Flansburg's most creative, uh, inventive, and interesting songs that he's written in like I agree. a decade. I agree. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I mean, like, I have absolute favorites on this record. I mean, I like Drown the Clown and I can't remember the dream and If Day for Winnipeg and I like um, Part of You Wants to Believe Me. Drown um, the Clown is uh, Zinnia's favorite and I she yep. definitely does not understand the darkness of it or that it's like yep. pretty obviously a Trump song right, and right. to her i think she thought like drown the clown was like bozo the clown like its name was drown a clown named drown <laughs> so i it's did like yeah it, go ahead i did yeah, part, I was, part of you wants to believe me i gave a seven i can't remember the dream that was with alex italics the uh, music video director you should listen to that one hmm. and we talked about all of the different videos that he's directed i can't remember the dream i gave a 7.8 i lost thursday i gave a 6.3 like that was like the first signal like yeah single yeah. kind of just because they had released it out of nowhere i don't think it should have been on the album it's kind of weak um then uh did some other stuff if day for winnipeg i gave a nine i broke my own rule i gave a 9.5 wow all right. uh, as a song that is perfect for like if you're warming up before a show you should sing that song you go through yeah. the c scale and then you you know, and you do, but there's some accidentals in there. It's good. It's a good warm up, because then it does like a C with like, then it drops the seventh, like all this stuff. People are like, "Well, you just singing the scale." It's like, have you actually plunked out the melody? Because there's more to it than that. Plus, the mm-hmm. rhythms are interesting. Anyway, I did yeah. a techno cover of it and be, and appreciated it much more. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, those are the main ones. I have done more since then, but that was the first string of book hips, book episodes. So 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 here's here's what I might be hearing a little bit in book, and again, I got to listen to it again. Um, with it being a um, both uh, the kind of anti-Trump, you know, record like the, the obviously synopsis for latecomers is like an all timer. Right. You know, obviously oh, a great, funny, you know, amazing song. But also, you know, it feels like one of these absolutely dystopian press conferences. Um, you know, it feels <laughs> out of like, you know, it yeah. feels like it's right out of like wag the dog. Right. And there are. Um, it. It's cathartic um, in the moment and like dealing with like, um, you know, making a, a a pandemic record. Lots of people made like pandemic records. I made a pandemic record. right? Um, and I feel like that was really, really needed. And I feel like it might take a little time before um, those records sing in their own context um, and 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 um, and feel like more than just like, oh, God, 2021. Can you believe it? You know? 
Um, yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, we look back on like the summer of love or like whatever it might be, yeah, you know, yeah. as like people who love music history and, you know, you've done a lot of writing about it. I've done a lot of yep. online journalism about it and stuff, a lot of retrospective yep. pieces. Those are some of my favorites to write, you know, like writing about Patty Smith's horses or something and putting in. I, actually, I did a full CBGB's history thing. I did a David Bowie thing on um, Punk News you know, after he died. Um but, like, people will look back and, like, you know, it'll be, like, I mean, even as soon as, like, you know, 2050 or something like that, people will look back, you know, oh, 30 years ago, like, there was this huge, you know how you look back and you, like, group elms together that, like, at the time, I mean, I can only think of a couple things, like, oh, uh, Pet Sounds influenced, you know, uh, Revolver influenced, Pet Sounds influenced, Sgt. Pepper, and then, like, like, those are consciously, like, they were listening to each other's records. But for the most part, us music journalists like to like define these eras and genres and all this. But at the time, people aren't really thinking about it. While people now yeah. will, in, in 30 years or whatever, look back on the COVID era records and assume that every record that came out in 2020 to 2023 was a COVID record and is about COVID. It's like how we all like think like, you know, in utero, oh, he was saying he was going to kill himself. Like, no, you're just reading into it, you know? I have a feeling that's going to happen. And there's our connection. There's our connection from uh, book to Billie Eilish again, right? Exactly. Right. They're both they're, they're both locked down. God. Cool. I love that first Billie Eilish record, though. I'll tell you, so good. Um, that was. I mean, that's really the only time in recent memory where I was like hooked into a pop singer because like I just bucked against pop for my whole life practically. Oh, yeah. Just well, like I well, don't listen the, to the radio anymore. But that I was like, this is good. The unanimity. The I mean, like the the freshness of it and and the number of people from every corner of culture who were behind her when she first broke um that was that was kind of a special thing you know there's a mm-hmm. sense of like wow everybody somehow can agree on this you know like i heard lots of folks my age saying well i don't listen to a lot of pop music except billy eilish right so that was a whole thing yeah even like dave grohl is like she's the modern nirvana and really i mean right it is genius sure. it's like because you take you like you you distill it down for like the tiktok era where you're like you got a good beat You've got strong bass and sub bass, and you've got the melody. Why? Why put anything in between? You know, sometimes you know there's ukulele on a song, or there's some keyboards, but usually the keyboards are just accentuating the melody, or like doubling the melody, or or just like adding a counter melody. And then there's like there's not some like big chording keyboard in between or something. It's just like you got the lows, you got the highs, you got the beat. Like that's it. And it's kind of genius because you're like, this is so simple. Any idiot could do it. It's like looking at it like you know, a Jackson Pollock painting or whatever, where you're like, I could have done that. It's like, well, did you? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. And, and a lot of that begins, I mean, I shouldn't say begins with, but I mean, I remember first really noticing and cluing into some of those um, practices in pop when, uh, when Lord's first album came out, you know, and Lord is mm-hmm. in, in, in like, like it, it's very, very easy to draw you know, a line from Lord to Billie Eilish and, um, and, I'll, I'll be curious to see how it goes from here in her career. I know that she's put out another record and stuff like that. So, yep. It's okay. It's got some cool, like, it's got like a couple, like, Bossa Nova tracks. Like, it's pretty interesting. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's that, like, intent, that, like, sophomore record that, like, a good uh, producer and songwriter will intentionally, like, deviate from what made them popular for a second just to see what they can do in this other realm and i'm hoping they kind of steer back more to what they did on the first album but it's one of those interesting second albums i like jesus and mary chain's dark lands was like well people think we need feedback to write good songs so let's let's slow it down and tone down the fuzz a little bit you know one of those 
One of those albums. So should we talk about Mr. Claus demo, the Frank O'Toole one? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, if if we can talk about it with relation to the you know to to, to the released version, because because of course they're very very similar, right? Um, mm-hmm. Let um, me let me drop that in here for the people, and yeah. then uh, let's see. You know they'll notice some stuff, and then we can talk about it. Here it is. <laughs> Okay, yeah, so that demo, like, it has its own wiki page. It's one of those, you know, you go to the chronology of Mr. Claw, and there it is, Mr. Claw demo. So, uh, 1987, and right on the wiki they say, same recording to later appear on the She Was a Hotel Detective EP, which I still need to track down that three-inch CD, the mini CD. I have the one for the Don't Let's Start EP and the... They'll need a crane EP, but I still need the mini CD for Hotel Detective. Uh, so it says, the second vocal layer is present through the entire intro, rather than starting with, unless that claw, which is like, I think Flan's coming in. Right. right. Uh, yeah. And then uh, the electric guitar at the start begins cold rather than fading in, revealing a rather ugly first chord. I love when there's uh, like the trivia bits, which are supposed to be facts, have like this, have opinions like right in them. Oh, you think it's an ugly first chord? I think John Linnell plays a really radical electric guitar. <laughs> and then the drum machine comes in a couple seconds too late during the Mr. Clock chorus, which was corrected for the EP. Release. Okay. So, what okay. else did you notice, or what do you have to say about those trivia points? Um, <laughs> too late. All right. The <laughs> coming in of the drum machine. The drum machine uh, entrance. So, first of all, all right. Mister Claw is a beautiful song. I just, I just want to say that it's, it's this like rising of the of the stage. It's this, you know, raising of the curtain. It's, it's this revealing of the dais. It's the, um, the lighting of the tableau. Um, such that, you know, it says, yes, we're presenting, we're presenting, we're presenting a thing. What's it going to be? What's it going to be? Unless that claw, <gasps> Mr. Claw, right? Um, it's, like two, so, it's like half the track is an introduction to the song and then oh, there's yeah, the song. Oh, yeah. And then, and then the song has, has almost nothing to it. But um, the fact that the demo recording was mixed differently into the final version recording this is this is from from like a musical point of view. One of the main things I want to think about with this song, um, the demo starts with this, you know, actually it doesn't start that way. Sorry, it goes, 
goes it starts two beats earlier than we um, hear the uh, the sort of final uh, released version starting. The fi- final released version, we sort of hear it fade in. And when it fades yeah. in, you can't quite tell where the downbeat is. Mm-hmm. And there's this little guitar riff in it that I had always, always heard as going like... Okay. The actual demo version, though, starts on beat... Beat three, I'm putting in scare quotes, of that version, right? It starts on the... <laughs> yeah. Which is almost cooler. Well, and here's the thing. That difference of the drum machine entrance is a two-beat difference, and I don't think that's a mistake. I'm going to propose. I'm going to completely change... I- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rewrite the history of Mr. Claw. Here we go. Okay. Okay. I'm going <laughs> to propose that, um, that what... I and you and probably billions of people have thought is the downbeat of Mr. Claw is billions. not the downbeat of Mr. Claw. Billions, uh, right? Billions. The song has billions. 30 billion <laughs> Spotify fans. Spotify listens. <laughs> I was about to say, go, go look on LiveJournal and you'll see 30 billion people uh, listing their MySpace uh, Mr. Claw Friendster pages, right? Um, the, um, um, the drum machine entrance in the demo starts on the word claw. Mr. Claw. Claw, Mr. Claw. Mr. One, two, three, four. Mr. Vanity Claw. Exactly. Um, And that's that's in keeping with the one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, as opposed to one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. So, um, at some point when the, um, uh, when, when the demo was mixed into, um, into the, the released track from the She Was a Hotel Detective EP, um, I'm going to suppose that there was somebody in the room, the producer, the mixer, somebody. Bill Krauss, how dare just, you? Right. Or, or for that matter, maybe even just a difference between, between Flans and Linnell, mm-hmm. who heard the song differently, who heard it not as Mr. Claw, three, four, one, mm-hmm. but who heard it as one, two, three, four, Mr. Claw. Mr. Claw with Mr. on the downbeat mm-hmm. because that's where the drumbeat actually enters in the Hotel Detective final released version, right? Yes. And therefore, it reframes where, where we're hearing the one in that. And because we fade in the entrance, we don't get that ugly chord, which would have marked what Linnell probably intended as the one. I think that Linnell yeah. hears Claw as the downbeat. And you can look at the live performances of this. And if you listen to the live performances we will. of this, they put the downbeat on Claw as opposed to Mr. And this mm. is a like to me, this is a uh, an absolutely cataclysmic deal in terms of where we're hearing this downbeat. I agree. And, and I think you've explained it well enough. I know my listeners do appreciate a good, uh, you know, theoretical breakdown of these songs and for this one you know and with Linnell playing guitar there's not a whole lot to talk about with the chord progression because it's very simple um right you know you've only got the e minor and g i mean really is there another i mean it just has i mean it has like that that passing like f sharp in there too but i guess that's just like like a passing tone 
Yeah, the 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 thing that's that's musically, or I should say, like harmonically interesting, of course, is the fact that Linnell is not a guitarist, and you can hear that he's just like botching notes left and right. You yes, know? Um, and that's uh, that's you know built into the aesthetics of a song, right? You know, if he said, "No, no, no, I, not the guitarist, I, the accordionist, shall defer to you, John Flansberg, to play beautiful," you know. That would be something to hear a they re-recorded version. You but know. no, no, no. I think I think that, and this is this is kind of getting to the real thesis statement of the song. Um, you know, the song the song is about um, imperfection, and yeah. it's about um, mechanical clumsy imperfection attempting to do something, and you know. Um, the fact that you're doing it matters more than how well you're doing it, right? And so, like, he he's not the guitarist, right? You can just imagine him being like, I'm just fumbling my way around this, you know, around this instrument. It's effectively the equivalent of, like, living life left-handed if you're right-handed, right? Just doing things mm-hmm. the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Um, Trying to fool the police by writing your ransom note with your left hand instead of when you're a right-hander. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, sound like you speak from experience. Oh, you know, um, I watch a lot of true crime. I pick up tips. <laughs> I, love, I just love lying to cops. That um, and the anarchist okay, so handbook, the, you know, um, it's under my pillow every night. Um, gosh, what I was gonna say. So, <laughs> so like, claw, right? Okay, so first of all, claw spelled with a C, but they here here they are misspelling it, right, with a K. And so, like again, we're doing something wrong, right? If you're speaking about like dexterity, doing something well, doing something in a fine, refined, human expertise-oriented way, you're talking about using five fingers in your hand. That would be Mr. Hand. No, no, claws are big, two, you know, two-pronged. Um, crab-like, uh, clumsy, blah, 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 things. And so, you know, it's really easy to imagine Linnell picking up a guitar and hacking his way around it and being like, I am not good at this thing. My hands, they do not feel dexterous in the way that I'm used to them feeling when I play the accordion. These feel like claws. Who am I mm. to play the guitar? I'll tell you who I am to play the guitar. I am Mr. Claw, you know? Yeah, quick interjection here. The credits say that Linnell is the only person on the track. I mean, I would assume in these early days they seem to collaborate. I mean, they still collaborate, but collaborate more closely as in like, you know, neither. Like, I think they were both, you know, like when they wrote this stuff for the Pink Elm and the demos that they were like both single guys or, you know, not in like a serious. They weren't living with anyone. They were just spending all this time together and doing the tracks like, together in the same room just like experimenting rather than hey i wrote one you wrote one let's put our our own you know let's contribute to each other's tracks and i feel like you know if anything like flames maybe uh program the drums but i feel like the unless the second vocal i feel like that's flans yeah i mean bear in mind that the wiki is just some people right yeah it's just some people just saying stuff right people are wrong all the time to me, it starts out with Linnell, unless that claw is Linnell, and then unless is Flans. Yep. I, I agree with you. I wouldn't bet, you know, my house on it, but um, but it sure sounds like it. I, I think you're right. Um, um, and I also agree that um, it's it's quite likely that Flans could have uh, put in the drum machine, and I know that he was involved with some of the mixing work, yeah. which is one of the reasons why I wonder 
whether there's a, you know, whether, whether, uh, you know, you could imagine Lanella recording it, intending it one way, and then, you know, uh, Flans just hearing it a different way in the mix down, or they are of one mind, and then the producer, you know, throws in that extra um, four beats of drum machine or something, or rather, or the two beats of drum machine. I'm Facebook friends yeah. with Bill Krause, and he does usually, yeah. like, I'm trying to get him on the show, and he did the Don't Let's Start podcast and i think yep. that tired yep. him out for years i yep. guess because like he's like i don't know i think i'm over podcast so like they got a lot of good answers out of him i know yeah. and yep. uh yep. he's like i've i've given all the answers i can give but he posts interesting stuff on miscellaneous yep. t facebook group now and then and like he has this song list like this written he found this r- handwritten piece of paper like of their early song lists and like there's some alternate titles all this interesting stuff so i'll shoot him just a quick facebook message and be like what's the deal with the drum machine mr claude do you remember like why did it get shifted why <laughs> yeah. did it get shifted you know um, I, it doesn't hurt to ask he might be like i don't remember like probably that's what he's gonna say the um the actual drum machine programming itself um going going off of uh, or rather going um, a skew of where where the downbeat is um we've got this like open ride symbol it's like yeah and it's got this like you know um i think it was like quintessentially like mid 60s cool kind of a sound which is all over their music of course you know you think about the programming on minimum wage or something like that. But, um, um, but that goes hand in hand with the idea of like Mr. Claw being, I don't know, you, you could see this as being like the, uh, the theme music to some spy show and, you know, the claw, yeah. the claw here, they're riffing on, um, you know, Mr. Ed. I think that's mostly a red herring. I don't think we need to get too deep into Mr. Ed on this, but, um, uh, but yeah, the idea that like, Yes, this is this is a cool guy who saunters, and of course, the the joy of the song comes from the ironic distance between the coolness of the drum beat, you know, and the way that they're selling Mister Claw and the absolute clumsiness of the um, both the guitar delivery, and then, you know, once once you're playing the guitar badly, and you're thinking, "Gosh, I'm just playing this thing with freaking lobster claws, right? <laughs> I'm I'm ridiculous." Zoeberg, you know, why not Zoeberg? You, you, right, um, you have uh, you have again. Um, this desire simultaneously to like oversell it with how you're talking about it, unless that claw right but also you know there's this like sense of the person who's doing this all is just not good at this right there's the sense of like the damaged hence you know instead of a claw is a claw or a claw is a claw of course of course but it's like yeah we gotta talk mr uh, ed after this is a claw right and and it starts to sound like someone who's very labored right right <laughs> got some kind of problem that they should talk to somebody it's about. like they're constipated um, yeah yeah <laughs> so um which actually which actually fits fits the song given that it takes like two thirds of the way to you know for, for, <laughs> it's for, like, for the beat i swear i'm gonna start the song eventually yeah, okay here's yeah. the song and it's over yeah yeah um but the um yeah the uh the song is in a lot of ways to me about um um you know, human failure and um, approximating success, faking it until you make it, um, lying to yourself about mm. your own your own abilities, um, and then there's you know it's kind of shot through with this sense of like technology and doing things wrong. You know, the drum machine sort of arrives at the moment that the song gets saved. You're like, okay, here's an actual melody. This is now kind of sort of working, but barely. You know? Yeah. Um, and the um, um, yeah, the idea of just like. Um, Playing, playing life, you know, left-handed. Uh, I think, I think is really, is really a big part of this. Um, you know, playing to your weaknesses, yeah, um, and pretending that they're strengths. And this is something that, 
And I will agree that this song is like it was it was ne- it was a song. I never skip it when I'm listening to because <laughs> I never had I should you know just I feel like I should have a copy of Miscellaneous T just to have it. But I'd been hearing it on the the two discs you know two CD uh, then compilation yeah. and I never skipped it. I never skipped any of them and. I feel like like that these early songs could be a deterrent to some people. Like like you're not going to be like, hey, ha- have you heard they might be giants? No. Uh, check out this song, Mister <laughs> Claw. Hey, check out Hideaway Folk Family. Hey, check out uh, Toddler Highway. Check check out uh, Helsinki Manhattan. Hey hey, be like what? But like it's one where um, yeah they're using. It's like they're intentionally sabotaging their own songs yeah. for uh, with the intent of it becoming like outsider art in a way. It's like when you think of like Daniel Johnston stuff in the 80s where it's like he's like, hey, I got a pump organ. I'm going to write a whole album with this thing. And then he's like, well, now I'm going to play guitar. And he's like, I know a couple chords and I'm going to mm-hmm. like clumsily strum through them. And that's what makes it special. And. These these like raw pop pop songs. It's like the early ones where you hear Flansburg playing the keyboards. You know where like here's a song that's just Flans, uh, or like you know I'm going to talk about bread hair tonight actually at uh, 10 p.m. or something. I can't even remember. They're on the West Coast, uh, and that's a song that's I th- just Flans. So like these early ones where they're like. Let me write and kick out this song in like an hour, and I feel like that's yeah. what Mr. Claw yeah. was. But the rawness is what makes it special. Uh, yes, I think that um, it's funny. We live in a time when, because uh, everyone has access to a little bit of technology, the bar for experimentation, and also because everybody lives in the same online shouting rooms, right? You know, whether it's TikTok or whether it's um, uh, uh, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it's going to be, um, you know, there's there's like a huge attention economy. And so to rise to the top of it, to get noticed by anyone um, requires, or at least certainly compels a certain amount of professionalism or a certain amount of gloss or shine mm-hmm. or a certain um, camera-ready pose. I think a lot about this. I think about the way that, like, Gen Z is, you know, basically being raised on camera and they're just much more natural at, like, looking into the camera. Whereas if you look at how people um, acted in front of cameras, let's say in the 19, you know, uh, let's say let's say before 1990 or something like that, mm-hmm. They look kind of guileless, and that guilelessness around media, around recording oneself, around hearing one's own voice, that sense of just like messing around, having a good time, you're doing it for the sheer joy of doing it or for the sheer surprise because you don't know what it's going to sound like if you play the tape backwards or too fast or too slow. That is really hard to find these days. It just seems almost as if culturally we have quote unquote evolved past it, but it also means that there's like lots of pleasures in records by, I'm thinking here of like the residents, Mm -hmm. or I'm thinking of like that first dead milkman record Mm. where you hear um basically kids messing around right kids messing around doing weird stuff uh and like being quote-unquote random um and in a way that was not random well right but like the way that you say that now is part of this cultural trope whereas those tropes didn't exist in 1987 there was no sense of oh i'm so random right in 1987 there's a sense of like oh wow i'm singing mr claw and this sounds cool um whereas like if some kid does this these days a it would just never make it through the algorithm right and b um i mean like i i 
I do my own little versions of this. I mean, like uh, there, there, there are a lot of people like you and me who put out um, music on like Bandcamp or like whatever that we never really expect people to hear. I put out a record the other week of just all recordings of old like Dada manifestos and mm. poetry and oh, things cool. like this. It was called Dada Day. We released it on Father's Day, right? The pun. But um, <laughs> and like and like yeah, you know, ten. I like that. Ten or twenty or thirty people have bought it, you know, and like it's not gonna make you know. It's not going to make money. I'm not doing it to um, to to get through the algorithm. I'm, I'm doing it because it was fun yeah. and because I like spontaneity. And so the early They Might Be Giants stuff, like when you read people talking about the really early They Might Be Giants stuff, I think that's a huge amount, that kind of innocence, that sort of outsider jejun, um, naive art, right, as they used to call it. You're such it. an academic. Um, that's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right, right. Anyhow, it's, um, that's, that's like so, so much of the pleasure of it. And like, if you come to them late, like let's say that your They Might Be Giants is primarily a post-John Henry They Might Be Giants, Great, sure, I love that band too. But when I hear that band, I think of you know the Beatles as much as anything. I think I think of you know the Beach Boys. I think of um, you know maybe maybe you can lash it on to some other sort of like '90s grungy or sort of retroy kind of things. Maybe Beck, right? You know, the yeah. that, like in the late '90s, they were sort of being, you know. Um, I'm thinking about like the whole like uh, uh, Austin Powers jag that they went on, things like that. But yeah. but that's a different thing. That is a um, a different um, that is a much more culturally aware thing than you know kids speaking into microphones, imitating voices that they heard on the radio when they were very young or on reruns, and and saying, "Oh wow, let's 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 do a Mr. Ed thing" without thinking, "Oh, we have a contract with Disney. Is Disney going to want this?" Mm-hmm. Which is where they were by the late 1990s, yeah. right? And obviously, they've you know come around a few times, and they have, you know, fully in, uh, in, encompassed their their entire history and how they approach things now. You know, when they do a, an album of miniatures like Nanobots, that's that's also cool. But um, but yeah, I guess the joy of Mr. Claw, which I also never skip. Um, and I and I think that for me, Miscellaneous T was the second record that I ever had of theirs. What right? was the first? Was, um, so, um, technically, it was Lincoln. Um, technically? And, uh, <laughs> well, I had I had um, uh, a dubbed, uh, like, like a third generation dub of Flood, gotcha. right? Uh, and then and then we bought um, we bought my my sisters, plural sisters, and I all went to the Mall of New Hampshire. Oh, the Mall! Was it a Sam Goody? Um, no, it was a um, it was a Tape World, which tape was competing world. with Record Town, <laughs> which I just think is like and then eight track plus place. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly, and like CD Galaxy, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Anyhow, so yes, the Mall of New Hampshire uh, in Manchester, New Hampshire, had had two music stores in it, and this would have been like you know 1991 or something like that. Uh, and they had Record Town and Tape World, uh, and yeah, we got we got it at Tape World, um, and um, and there was Lincoln, and then we got Miscellaneous T. Um, and I remember listening, and and my sister Robin had like just learned to drive, right? So she was driving us back from, and this was like a big trip for us. She was probably 16, uh, maybe 17. Mm-hmm. And she was driving us back from the mall, and it was like a two-hour drive because we lived in northern New Hampshire. And, um, and we were listening to it, and like Lincoln, and I think we bought them both on like the same day, Lincoln and Miscellaneous T. And we listened to them both on the car ride back. Lincoln, you can kind of understand quickly, right? I mean, like, Anna Ng is just a banger, right? You're like, yes, I'm right on board with this, oh, right? Yeah. Miscellaneous T, you know, it starts off with, like, um, what is it? Hey, Mr. DJ or whatever it's going to be. Um, Which is a banger. 
Oh well. sure, mm. but then but then it start but then it's real <laughs> then it weird. Right? When, yeah. Once you get into like the B sides, and you get into like who's there must be giants, you know, you get all this stuff, and you hear like Hello Radio, and you're like, I have no idea what's going on, right? <laughs> and again, I am this? I'm like eleven, and I'm exactly at that right age when I wasn't expecting professionalism from my music, right? And, and and this is also worth noting that I had been raised basically without pop music. I had been raised in a nearly all classical home because my mother was not big on rock and roll music because Satan. Um, and therefore, Could it be yeah, Satan? Right. Exactly, to take another 1991-ism. Yeah, and so... Um, and so there might be giants, you know, we sort of, sort of, they kind of flew under the radar uh, of, of that. And as you'd imagine, they would, which is funny because their politics are actually rather more subversive than a lot of, you know, a lot of the now quite like trad conservative bands that were popular in the late 80s. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, I remember, you know, listening to, 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 to Miscellaneous T and being like, what on earth is happening here? <laughs> and, and I loved and immediately related to the fact that it was just messing around. At the beginning of this podcast, I was talking about how I spent my childhood walking around making weird noises. And here you could listen to people like recording things with their answering machine, making weird noises, right? You could listen to, you know, them uh, on All Sync Manhattan. You know, they've got the um, uh, uh, the backwards um, loop of the guy, I think like what, the fireman, policeman, like yep. leaving a message on mm-hmm, their answering machine. Mm-hmm. So things like that. And so, um, and so yeah, Mr. Claw has a sense of like, not only is this a song that's just like messing around, but it's almost a song about messing around right yeah it's a song and it's also like, one of theirs that's not as much inspired by like deep cultural like some heavy literary reference reference or something critically acclaimed it's the lyrics are inspired by mr ed i mean of all things yeah, yeah. and we haven't touched yeah. on that so mr ed now you said you hadn't ever watched howdy doody and let me tell you you nailed it it went off the air in 1960 it was on from 1947 yep. to 1960. Um, yep. And Mr. Ed uh, was on from, let's see, had 143 episodes of A Talking Horse. Um, f- January uh, 5th of 1961 to February 6th of 1966. So 61 to 66. And yep. I, I feel like even like young kids would have at least heard of Mr. Ed, or am I wrong? Yeah, of course they would. I mean, every everybody knows Mr. Ed, at least in theory. Everyone's heard, you know, the... The f- <laughs> Yeah. Didn't, didn't, didn't. <laughs> right. A horse is a horse, um, of course, of course. And I will drop that in right here. Hello, I'm Mr. Ed. A horse is a horse, of course, of course. And no one can talk to a horse, of course. That is, of course, unless the horse is the famous Mr. Ed. Go right to the source and ask the horse. He'll give you the answer that you endorse. He's always on a steady course. Talk to Mr. A. Okay, yeah, good. continue. <laughs> I I hope I got the key right on that. I I doubt that I did <laughs> one in twelve. What right? did you play? The, it in? Um, yeah. uh, I just I just did it in C. Um, and and actually I, I I played a natural one. I should have played on a. Let's flat. see if oh, ultimate guitar so, has the course. <laughs> no, no, no. Let's not. So so Mr. Ed. Like, yeah, again, this is this is about, like, a talking horse. No one has seen a talking horse. I'm like, Mr. Ed, um, we're... I- I don't know how smart Mr. Ed is. I, th- I think that Mr. Ed is actually like part of his part of his character's deal is that he has what we would call horse sense, right? You know, oh, Wilbur, he's he's, he's kind of, you know, um, the the quote unquote straight man. Right. Um, but um, but the point is that, like, 
it's it's the equivalent of you know a dog dancing. It's it's a horse talking. It's a thing that should not be. Yeah, right? putting peanut that, butter like on claw. its gums, which you've already mentioned putting peanut butter in your mouth to say something for, for it to like right, lick right. its lips and look like it's talking. Like, horse lips, they are they are pretty hilarious. I could see how you'd come up with the pre- premise, and kids would love the show. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and 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 it's you know it's it's an easy gimmick, but it's a gimmick, of course, stretched out over 143 episodes or whatever it is, and and so it's like wow, this is kind of like, how do you make this happen? Like, what do you actually do with this? You have to, at some point, give the horse personality and plot. Um, and again, like, with, with the claw thing, you know, like, here you are playing the guitar with claws, mm. and at some point, after 143 playthroughs of Mr. Claw, you're going to, like, the claw's going to evolve. <laughs> it's going to become a hand. You're going to get good at this. Yeah, you know? it's like people teach horses like, to, this like, is the, this clop is like how, once. How learning clop once for yes and twice for no. Oh, this horse can do math. It's like, I maybe? Clever Hans, they called that 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 particular Okay, horse, yeah. wow. How did you remember that? Yeah. Also, uh, 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 Ultimate Guitar has a... I should, uh, I should note that I was the captain of the New Hampshire State Quiz Bowl team. Well, there you go. Ultimate Guitar has a very thorough uh, tab uh, uh, chord for Mr. Ed, and it has it in the key of C for guitar, but then there's also one for ukulele in the key of F. All right, well. (laughs) But, I mean, this one's tabbed out like it's got G7s, G7 flat 9, G9, G7 sharp 9. This is a complicated chord progression. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should do the Mr. Ed theme, sung with that melody, with those chords, but replace it with the Mr. Claw lyrics. (laughs) <laughs> right, right. A claw is a claw, but of then, course, but of, then course. of course, you don't really get into right, right, right. The, the of course, of course, doesn't doesn't work. It's like the rhyme isn't even no. there again. If you wanted to get into the sense of the degree to which it's not working, <laughs> it's not even working as like as like a parody of Mr. Ed. Right, not it doesn't really. quite. It, it it doesn't quite fit, and that's and that's like key to the song is that it's just like a bunch of things that don't quite they don't quite fit and they don't quite work. I'm going to go ahead and cut to my chase regarding uh, my 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 other contribution to to Mr. Claw scholarship. Um, <laughs> and, uh, this is your next book, right? This is coming out. Clawlership, Mr. Clawlership. Yeah. Um, I majored in so, Mr. Claw. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, I didn't go to Mr. Exactly. Claw medical school I'm, I'm a, for nine years to be called. I'm an emeritus Claw. professor of Mr. Claw. Studies. There you go. I'm visiting um, lecturer. Yeah. The. Um, um, the release of this. This is the B-side to Hotel Detective, mm-hmm. right? Hotel Detective, right? This is a title song about um, this woman who's incredible at everything. She is good at everything. She is the ideal, right? You are both in love with her and you want to be her and you are afraid of her and she is this sublime character, right? I mean, like, the Hotel Detective, both in the original and in the sequel, where she's a billionaire. Hotel mm. Detective, she is everything that a human can be, right? They are in awe of her. I think that Mr. Claw, being the B-side of that is absolutely the inverse of it, right? Mr. Claw is like, all right, if you have Ms. Hotel Detective, who's great, who's good at everything, here you have Mr. Claw, who's just the <laughs> worst at everything. The fucking but worst. God God bless him, he is trying. You know? Bless his heart. <laughs> That's what we say in rural Indiana. Oh, bless your heart. Yeah, like, yeah. Stupid um, gosh, what... <laughs> So, so Mr. Claw um, comes out on the Hotel Detective EP in 1988. I'm drawing no causal line here whatsoever, by the way, because Mr. Claw was clearly written by 87, quite possibly earlier. Who knows? Although, yeah. actually, that makes sense that it probably be written in 87. It doesn't seem like a really old one because if it's Linnell playing the guitar, um, he, he, he was learning in that era. You know, we have videos of him, like, 
bringing out a banjo on. Yeah, and he's playing guitar. Yep. Yep. But the the Danny DeVito Arnold Schwarzenegger movie Twins comes out in 1988. Do you know this movie? Yes. All right. I remember so seeing twins. the cardboard cutouts at the blockbuster of Schwarzenegger yeah, and DeVito. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Um so so the plot of Twins very very briefly is about a pair of genetically engineered twins, <laughs> right? Um and the geneticists have found a way to give all the good qualities to one of them. Brilliant, smart, charming, well-spoken, huge, strong, beautiful, right? <laughs> and uh, to the other one, as Danny DeVito says, they give him the crap, right? They make him short and dumb and ugly. And the twins are played by Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger. And there's, of course, the ironic distance between them that creates the entire crux of the comedy, mm-hmm. right? And they learn to be beautiful brothers and all mm-hmm. that stuff. Um, and I feel like Hotel Detective is the Arnold Schwarzenegger to Mr. Claus Danny DeVito. <laughs> I love no that. one has ever said that sentence before, but I'm I quite sure that I you should put it in the interpretations, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I saw, I saw a beautiful paper a few years ago at this musicological conference where, um, a scho- so, uh, my, my, like, main scholar, she, uh, uh, my main, like, like, scholarly gig has to do with, like, experimental, rough, dark, evil music, and I wrote a book industrial, on industrial music, and yeah. so I went to see this paper, right, I, I went to see this paper about the industrial band Ministry, and it was looking at the relationships between their A-sides and B-sides on singles in the early days, and how they would oftentimes be, like, inversions or comments on one another, and this is, like, one of the classic ways to do a single, is that, like, you don't just put a throwaway track on your B-side, you put a B-side that may Maybe if you look at it through the right lens, has something to say about the A side, and I feel like Mr. Claw has something to say about Hotel Detective. Yeah. I um and and you and you get these really really nice binary oppositions of Mr. Claw. She was a hotel detective, you know, male, female. You get Flans doing hotel hotel sure. detective, and you get Linnell doing Mr. Claw. You get one about being sublimely good at everything, you know. Um, boy, if you got a secret, you know, forget about it. Whereas Mr. Claw, he has no idea if you have secrets. He's barely aware of who he's he just is. hanging it's on like his brain <laughs> by a yeah, thread. Right, right, right. It's like. His full brain is somewhere in the lobster claw that is already busy playing guitar and trying to move that same claw as a mouth announcing who it is, saying, a claw is a claw. Unless. It's just, (laughs) right. It's a totally overloaded system. Whereas like Hotel Detective has all the swagger in the world to it. Yeah, it's got that swing, baby. Mr. Claw is the... Right, right, right. Mr. Claw is the least swaggery, least hip song in the world until, of course, the drums come along and then you're like, well, this is ridiculous, right? So, yeah. So that's my take. Oh, boy. And it's quite a take. Though, And so I, like, really in, like, 90% of my episodes, I don't look at the interpretations tab. But for a song as wacky as this, I just wanted to take a peek. And did you know there oh, is a... I, I don't even know. I, I'm looking now. Did you know that there is a photographer from the 50s named Irving Claw with a K? I'm seeing this and now. And he's like, the pinup king is what he was known as. Huh. Interesting. I'm I'm reading this. Yes, Pinup King, who took uh, cheesecake photos of women, honesty, and joy, and innocence. You know, um, interesting. I think this is interesting, Mr. Vanity Claw. Right. Maybe. I don't buy Me it, Me neither. Um, I mean, but like, it's an interesting way to think about it. It's one of those things where it's like, well, I think it's about this, but isn't it fun to kind of also think about it like this, you right. know? <laughs> right, right, right. Um, I... I think that it's so so a I feel like I feel like the pinup world even though the decades might be right for 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 John isms I feel like that's a weird blend with Mr. Ed for the innocence How about Inspector Gadget though? Fit. 
Dr. Claw. No, absolutely wrong. <laughs> totally, totally wrong. And I'm angry. I'm angry that anyone supposes that there's any... Okay, there's so no like mention of people... a white cat or like turning around in the chair with a white no, cat. No, 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 no. The idea of um, uh, the idea of like Dr. Claw from Inspector Gadget, this is a 1980s cartoon, right? Um, that's not the world that, no. um, that there might be giants are occupying. I don't think that right? existed this when is the maybe... song was written. If if it did, it, it's only going to be an issue for like the fans, right? The fans who are fifteen years younger than the band, right? Um, the fans who 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 were children. And yes, I saw Doctor Claw on Inspector Gadget, mm-hmm. right? I could even do his voice. I'll get you, Gadget. Yeah, right? Nice, that's that. good. Right, thank you. Uh, but the um, but like they were not watching that. If someone watch, if someone like listens to the Mappy Giant song and is like, oh wow, do you think that they're singing about this one um, thing from oh I don't know uh, Harry Potter? Or, or right. um, gosh, I don't know, uh, um, um, some kids' show, SpongeBob. No, 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 they're not. Right, that is not the world that they occupy. But I was Maybe wrong. If Disney pays them to do it. They will. I was right? wrong. The original uh, Inspector Gadget TV series was eighty-three to eighty-six, so it was. Yeah, yeah, that's about right. But yeah, Mr. Claw, what, did, again, did he get, you know, did he get stripped of his medical license and then become Mr. Claw? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe this is, maybe this is, this is, this is, this is before he got his doctorate. But, um, but no, I don't, I don't think that it's, I don't think that it's an Inspector Gadget thing, right? I think, I think that, um, I think that's a, uh, a coincidence. Yeah. Um, and I think that um, that that kind of like on the nose reference making is also like if you actually spend time with their discography and get into their headspace, you know, that's not really what yeah. they do. The Mr. Ed reference in the song is about as close as they ever come to doing that. Right. Or like occasionally if they're going to talk about the 1980s and they don't talk about the 1980s until like the late 90s or early 2000s. Mm. Here's where like you'll get Flansburg saying things like, oh, I've dropped the MC from my name. You know, I'm just I'm just babyface or whatever it is. And like this is this is where he'll, you know play it like a 1980s cool but like not a 1980s kid show I, I would say that there is one thing i can think of um rhythm section one ad they mention you know actual 80s bands like the eurythmics and stuff like that and uh what sure what, oh sure. crap what song did they mention mdc millions of dead cops is that also that wait mdc uh i don't know but they will reference, uh, you know, their peers at the time, kind of. You yeah, know. yeah, peers, peers for sure, and also some of those are taken from from quotes of journalists writing True. about them. Yes, at the moment. good point. But, um, but, but again, peers in the pop music world, they are not eight years old though in 1986, right. and they're not going to be referencing a thing for eight year olds in 1986. You know, that's that that's just not their world. Yeah. Do you want to get to the live versions? Yeah. The deal with the live versions, A, I think that it's great that they that they bothered to truck this out in the live version because in nineteen ninety-nine. Yeah, right. And it takes a long time before they decide to do this. And um one of the reasons uh why I think it's, you know, a delight is that um there's a you know, like it's it's not as if they had been playing this for twelve years during rehearsals and behind the scenes and saying, oh gosh, one day, one day, this will be good enough. It's the stilube of the day. They're like, we just can't get it right. (laughs) Right. We can't debut it yet. It was played 36 times, but it was over a decade after the song was released. And it was just through September, 
only through September and October of 1999, and then twice yep. in February of 2000. I couldn't find either of the ones from 2000, but I do have two examples, and I'll just drop them in here right in a row. I don't know if it's even worth playing both because they're only a month apart, but I'm going to play um, yep. the closest one I could find to play, the debut. Play only one of them. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yep. The, I couldn't find September 8th, 1999, which is when they debuted it, but I did find uh, September 18th, 1999. So this is like the... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eighth time they ever played it. September of 99, Trinity University in San Antonio, Texas. Yeah, here it is. I mean, are they playing it as a vanity claw, a novelty claw, a novelty <laughs> song? <laughs> um, a few things about this. First, first of all, um, you notice that, like, per my comments earlier about the downbeat, they are putting the downbeat on claw, Mister Claw. Yeah. yeah, you know, um, hmm. it's actually in that key. Um, and then, uh, and then, second of all. Um, I mean, '99. This is this is within within a stone's throw of of them doing the re-release of then the early years, yeah. right? This is when they are starting yeah, to revisit the early yeah. stuff. So yeah, I mean, like if if they're willing to go back and like you know re, um, gosh, uh, to exhume old tracks that were in some cases like throwaway things. I'm thinking of like I don't know Main Street U.S. or yeah, Flip Main Street USA. Similar uh, tone. right again yeah. things timbre things things that are not really songs as you would say <laughs> here's here's actually a funny story in my fandom uh, my nephew so my my sister Robin um, she's also a big fan she's the one who was driving the car when we bought Lincoln and, and miscellaneous tea way back in the day at the mall of New Hampshire so she has she has kids and um, and her youngest kid Carl. Um, has a a real healthy skepticism toward the world, right? <laughs> he is uh, he's 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 always the one to like call BS when things Love are that. BS, right? Yeah. And uh, and he's been this way since he was very very young, <laughs> and uh, and um, when he was, I'm gonna get his age wrong on this story, but when he was like four or five years old. She was playing some They Might Be Giants for him, or maybe like singing some of They Might Be Giants for him, you know, which makes sense because they did kids' records. But he looks at her very skeptically and he goes, Mom, is this a real song? (laughs) 
And like that's that's one of like you, know, you listen to Mr. Claw and you can very reasonably ask mom, is th- is this a real song? This doesn't seem like this a real song. This happened in my you know? house two days ago because I was prepping the bread hair uh, email outline for uh, Lauren Davis. Um who I'll be talking to in uh, less than 12 hours about bread hair. Uh, yeah, Kara was like, this like isn't a song. And I'm like, well, it's got <laughs> some instruments and a sung melody. And as, as minimal and bizarre as it is, like I'd say it is a song. And Zinnia's like, Zinnia like basically parrots her is like, is this a song? This isn't a song. And I'm like, well, <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. can you hum it? It's a song. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and and I mean, like for for me, I mean, like I I love a lot of their a lot of their you know late catalog. I think that some of the big big proper songs are great things. I think that Prevenge is one of the greatest songs of the 21st century. I think that you know Spiraling Shape speaks to my soul. But gosh, when I hear like little throwaway things, I'm like, is this even real? I'm like, yes, this is this is what life is really about. It's about the stuff that isn't perfectly formed. So. Um, so the fact that they're playing this at all, A, speaks to the fact that they're like revisiting their older stuff and they're, you know, promoting this record. And it was also a kind of a weird moment. You know, I think of like, like, you know, the long, tall weekend era as being I, a particularly I'm weird I'm looking at the wiki career. page for that, too, because that came out in July of 99. And I'd say that's maybe yep. the closest like proper album to like what Miscellaneous T was. It was like a decade later version of Miscellaneous T where they're like, here's yep. some shit we're doing. Yep. Here's some shit we're going to redo on Mink Car that maybe yep. they didn't know that at yep. the time. But they're like, eh, we should be... Yep. You know, it was kind of, you know, it's, it's kind of like a half-assed album, but it's an interesting listen for yeah. that reason. Yep, I agree. I agree entirely. Um, and so uh, and so that, that approach was, you know, probably in the air. Um, and like, if... If what they are experiencing, I mean, like, again, at this point, um, I don't know if they're actually between record labels, but I know that there have been some, like, you know, record deal shakeups. And this was not like, this is not a high point in their career, according to at least them and some people. You could imagine them saying, you know, um, either, either saying, oh, gosh, we got to get back in touch with our roots, you know? And I'm not saying they really said this. I don't think it was this anything is our back so to basics conscious album. and heady as that. <laughs> yeah, but like, but like saying, like, you know, what, what, what is it that we have lost in the process of doing these big commercial slick factory showroom albums? Um, you know, and it's, and it's stuff like that, or it's stuff like the planet of the apes songs, which are not good songs, but they absolutely feel yeah. like the weird Flansburg yeah. stuff. You and know? then those finally being released right around that time too, you know, uh, just like a year yeah, and a half yeah, earlier yeah. or something on severe tire damage. Yep. Yep. So like, um, so there's, there's that sensibility of like getting back to our roots or what have we lost in the process or also, you know, heck we are, we're, we're adrift, we're unmoored. Fuck it. Let's do Mr. Claw, you know? (laughs) Um, and, and, uh, and so I feel like, um, when when they play this live, you know, in 1999, they have to relearn it, you know, in as much as one learns this song, but they have to, you know, practice it and get it right because it is a song that people like and you want to hear the weird double voiced, you know, unless, unless that plus, right, you, you want that all to work. Um, and, uh, um, and so, yeah, uh, to, to, to bring it out at all sort of vindicates it as a quote unquote real song but because it patently isn't that's funny <laughs> right you know it's 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 the equivalent of you know uh of the trick that they pull with minimum wage which is you know 
imparting just a little bit a little bit too much glory you know like a little more than the song actually deserves mm-hmm. and so you know when you hear them doing mr claw you're like wow you you really are doing this and if you look at their other concert practices they love doing this kind of trick i mean think about when they bring out the glockenspiel when they do shoehorn right with teeth. this whole to do for like a couple of yes hits. exactly sometimes they're like oh yeah we're going to sing the glockenspiel onto the space <laughs> you know onto the stage you think about like you know the um what was it letterman or was it conan o'brien I think it, it was conan o'brien where 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 you know they're doing robot parade yeah. and it's like not going well and so then and so we're then losing start singing, like, the crowd through like the yeah. vocoder yeah exactly <laughs> the and so like sounds. they oversell it and and like the idea of doing Mr. Claw at all live is itself an overselling and it is a song about messing around and overselling itself. I mean, like, therefore, there's a certain justice, there's a certain poetic um, consonance uh, and circularity that, of course, Mr. Claw is the song that you do this with. It's always already waiting to be yeah, oversold. Yeah, that is a thing that they like to do. I hadn't even thought about that. Uh, God, it is a song <laughs> unless that song is not a song it's <laughs> yeah. the famous mr claw there's so many ways you could parody this song and we could weird all this up a ton yeah, yeah. um should we do the covers oh, okay sure. so we might be giants too do you know much about this compilation i don't i am i am always a little oh gosh I am not the prime audience for um, for a lot of tribute albums. Well, this um, one, this one is one of the first because it came out in 1998. This is yeah, and I oh, haven't wow. mentioned it for a while, so I might is as this, well get on, a wiki is this, page. Is this I, look I, on the wiki? I gotta I gotta dial up which one this is. What's what's the one that has the um, the fantastic version of Anna Ng on it? Um, let's see. Does this have Anna Ng? I'm not seeing Anna Ng on this one. This one was put That's together right. with the um, Usenet uh, the the, the alt music Oh wow. Okay. All right. I love the fact that um, none of these artists are people that I've heard of, <laughs> and that and yeah. that like um, so I was they're long uh, dead. No, back, they're not. You haven't. You don't know Kyle Carrozza. <laughs> All of them. Someone. Someone hunted down every artist on this. No, the. Um, uh, when I was so like I remember like the late '90s moment, of course, because I was like playing in a band, and and the band that I was playing in participated in like various tribute albums of the time there there's a label called Cleopatra Records just just uh, the the most low budget um anyhow mm-hmm. they put out like way too many like bad like goth industrial tribute albums um and 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 and, and we prepped a few tracks for some of these and we participated in a few other tributes and so we did one that was on a on this ridiculous 13 CD box set um, tribute to the Cure, where the idea was that like fans around the world would cover every single song the Cure had ever released oh, at boy. that time, right? And so that's thirteen CDs worth. And we did a song for it, and it was fine, but it was like way overblown. And you know, and now like you can't find this thing. You know, it'll sell on Discogs for like five hundred dollars because you you know yeah. Anyhow, it was I. I find the whole phenomenon endearing and charming. It got a write up and spin. Um, wow. You know, the idea of like, yes, fans doing their own thing. Again, it has that sort of, you know, like jejune, like, you know, messing around on your own sort of a thing. And I'm happy in certain circumstances, like the one that you and I were talking about earlier, you know, to, to participate sometimes in this. But like um, um, oftentimes there's a there's a kind of... Um, hmm, Hmm. I'm I'm just not very invested in fandom as a phenomenon. Um, <laughs> I am being five years into a show where I do cover <laughs> yeah, sections. Yeah. Have we even played the clip yet? Let me play this. So skip 
the artist is just called Skip. So here's Mr. Claw. A claw is a claw, and nobody has seen a talking claw. Nobody has seen a talking If this was released in 98, this was even before they had started playing it live in 99. So they were, yeah. you know, miscellaneous tea heads, you know. I mean, they're only 98. They're only a decade removed from the actual, you know, writing and release of Mr. Claw for the first time. And so these are like the true fans, you know, they're on the news group. They're they're uh, chatting it up with other fans and, you know, like physically mailing each other, uh, you know, CDs for them to put on the compilation CD. Like a lot of work and a lot of uh, postage stamps went into putting this together, right? There's no Google Drive. There's yeah, no Dropbox. Yeah. I mean, a lot of effort when it, a lot of effort goes into the comps, like the charity comps that I'm putting together now. Uh, a lot of work, but this is. This is like early MP3 era. Like this is it's it's hard. Like I don't think kids today they don't realize that, that they had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to do this compilation. Uh, so you know it, it like props to Skip and everyone involved with We Might Be Giants too. You know it's proper yeah. enough that yeah, it's yeah, got yeah. its own yeah. page on the wiki. Like it's got a lore around. Oh it, yeah, a mystery yeah. around it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I mean like so so the. Um, the skip cover, uh, I like. I like the the earnestness to it. I like that they're not trying to just ape the original. Um, I like that you know there's something, um, you know, there's like wow, I'm 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 really feeling yeah. this right. You you believe even even if you're not right there with this guy, right? You really believe that he's having a moment. Um, <laughs> and I think that that's that that's like fandom at its absolute best, right? I think that when it's um, when it's, uh, I don't know, performing for itself, which again is fitting with Mr. Claw because that's because that's what the song models, right? You know. Okay, moving on to the next cover um, on YouTube. The YouTube channel is just called Peril, which I like that kind of ominous Peril. Yeah, Mr. Yeah, Claw yeah. cover. Uh, yeah, let's let's check it out. A claw. Is the famous Mr. 
All right, so here we've got, you know, the lovely, the cool split screen. This is from six years ago, an accordion and vocal cover of Mr. Claw. Thoughts? Love it. Love it. Um, again, yeah, I feel, I feel like she's on her own trip, um, and, that's, and that's really what's key to making, um, well, to making really, really any cover land, yeah. but especially when it's a cover of such, a, such an offbeat, weird song, because uh, you don't really gain much by just imitating you know, Linnell in this. Um, and so, um, I think it's, I think it's funny that she of course is using Linnell's instrument, the accordion, um, when, um, uh, when he's playing guitar on this track. Yeah. It's um, almost like, Hey, what if, uh, like this was the demo to that, to the real demo to the song where Linnell's yeah, like, yeah. maybe it'd sound better if it was shittier and I played guitar. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I can, I can kind of believe that. Um, except that I don't think the song actually got that much thought, you yeah. know, the, um, um, the video helps with this one as well. I feel like she, she has a, um, a great radiant strangeness. Yeah. Um, like so, really understands um, like the depth of weirdness of these early tracks. And it seems like yeah, it's almost yeah. like sh- she's both the Johns and there's, f- there's four of her. They all, and they all have her <laughs> name. I'm just going to call her peril. And yeah. uh, they're just yeah. fucking around. And like, she probably uh, conceived of and recorded this cover in about an hour, just like the original was probably conceived of and recorded in an hour. Uh, and I love the pitch shifting. The, uh, I mean, is that a cajon yep. in there just, or just like hitting a, I don't know. She's sitting on top of some sort of percussion instrument. It's it's very creative and minimal, uh, but in its own way, in its own unique twist on it. So I think it's an excellent interpretation of the song. Yeah, yeah. And one more cover. Eric Roberts. Uh, shameless covers by Puerco, Puerco Music on YouTube. Uh, I don't think I need to tell anyone who listens to the show about Eric Roberts, now part of the covers crew. He records a cover every day, like multiple ones. He's had this YouTube channel for under two years and has like a thousand videos on it. It's bonkers. Good gravy. (laughs) Well, thank you. It's just brown and water. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so here is uh, Eric doing Mr. Claw. No one has seen a talking claw. No one has ever seen a talking claw. Unless that that claw is the famous, the famous, uh, unless that claw is, is the famous, the famous Mr. Claw Mr. Claw Mr. Claw Mr. Claw Mr. Claw Mr. Vanity Claw Mr. Claw Mr. Lightning Ball What do you think about this one? I'm a little less keen on this one. No diss to Eric. Um, if you're doing, you know, if, if you're doing a thousand covers, you're going to get through these songs. But um, um, I feel like this one has a little bit more, simultaneously a little bit more of the direct imitation of the Vampy Giants cadence mm-hmm. on it, which I think doesn't actually help um, when it's, you know, when it's when, when it's an imitation as opposed to some um, unprovoked emanation of the Linnellian soul. Linnellian. Um, yeah, it's almost like for a guy that's good at guitar to play a song, yeah, uh, yeah. to cover a song right, originally right. done by a guy that's bad at guitar, uh, it's, uh, I mean, that's it's like hard to play like that. Yeah. 
if you're good at something, sometimes it's really hard to be crappy at it, you know, <laughs> like, like if I, you know, if I'm, if I'm here in front of my piano and someone says like play an E minor to G chord, you know, um, and they say like, do it badly. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like I, I, I don't know how to be right, bad at it right. very well. But if I um, handed you like a bassoon and, uh, to do a cover of Mr. Claw, how would that go? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That would be great. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 That'll be, you know, you hear it kind of going. Yep. you know and yep. that'd be great everybody everyone would be very excited about that i mean like going back to my industrial roots one of the things that the sort of er industrial band throbbing gristle did was they said uh they said gosh you over there you play the guitar you play some drums you play you know some keyboards all right i want us all to rotate i want us all to pick up the instrument that we're bad mm-hmm. at um and like make this make this a song now and like the defamiliarization really is part of the aesthetic and when you're too um familiar with something you know when you're too sort of sort of in the groove of it um i don't know uh it's yeah it's hard to to replicate that sense of like inchoate um unknowing it's hard to become a claw yeah already you know and and that's a band i haven't listened to in a long time throbbing gristle that's one of those bands where for for those of you listeners that really love songs like mr claw and the early tmbg b-sides and stuff like the residents i mean anything that's just really out there um i would highly recommend throbbing gristle and, and bands of that ilk like i remember yeah. reading uh what yep. book was it as a uh, rip it up and start again Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Really good uh, documentation yep. of the kind of post-punk uh, and like how that came to be. Very, very interesting read. How while while the first wave of punk was still kind of still going in earnest, bands were already like, uh, yeah. l- let's let let's do it nope, this way, which is crazy. Now, yeah. Like the evolution of genres like around that time is just bonkers and uh you know you know as well as i do but that kind of the kind of punk diaspora moment one of the one of the funny things gosh i remember um i remember uh somebody built some tool online that was basically designed to like you give it two um two different musicians and it would find you like the best um connecting musician between Uh. them It it would find you like some you know some artist that was like the fifty percent you know that split mark right yeah. and I remember um, and I remember taking like when I first saw this tool I'm like okay I'm gonna throw in like on one hand I think I I think I put throbbing gristle and they might be giants as like two things on there because um, they're both you know things that I'm deeply invested mm-hmm. in right like the super dark and like the super goofy yeah. these are like kind of who I am and um, Gosh, do you know? So the song that it popped up in the middle as being like half and half, and I was like, "Oh wow, you're right." Uh, there was a project in the '80s by uh, Don Was, the brother, uh, or Don Was and his brother. That he's he was a producer called Was Not Was. Do you know this? Do you know this band? I do not. Their biggest hit that you've probably heard was a song called Walk the Dinosaur. It's like boom, boom, shakalaka laka, boom, 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 shakalak, boom, boom. Everybody up, get on the floor. Okay. Everybody walk the walk dinosaur. The dinosaur yeah. man. Right, right. Like like novelty song from like yeah. 1988. It's kind of dumb. But they have this song that shows up. <laughs> <laughs> they have a song. They have a song that shows up on the soundtrack to the Christian Slater movie Pump Up the Volume. The song is called I'm in Jail. 
and it's this like really really like aggressive sneering like distorted uh. vocal it's got this weird like 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 industrial beat in the background that almost reminds me of like um you know i'm deaf or like oh, become man. a robot and it's this guy going like dad i'm in jail i like it guess wow. where i am i'm that in jail cool. and it's this weird thing and it's like yeah this is absolutely halfway between like genesis Peorage and john flansburg and it works great anyhow nice. uh so yeah i think um i think that that kind of defamiliarization play, playing the wrong instrument I think that that's a really important part of the, or at least a kind of earnestness. I think that those are really important parts if you're going to attempt to cover Mr. Claw. Um, barring that, like the the one, you know, the one way that I could totally imagine covering Mr. Claw would be to just overblow it by, you know, by a factor of 12, you know, give yourself like a full... You know, Jim Steinman. A full backing, symphony you know, orchestra. Did anyone and, order know. the London Symphony Orchestra possibly yeah. while high? Exactly. Full symphony orchestra. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Cypress Hill stole my orchestra. <laughs> Alex Reed stole my orchestra to do a yeah. cover of Mr. Yeah. Claw. Oh, boy. Yeah. So, I mean, I love that we have, I love that I found any covers of this, let alone three covers and three covers that all approach it from different directions. So props to all three of y'all for attempting to cover one of like, like top of the heap of bizarre They Might Be Giants songs. Uh, It's time to score this song. Do it. You go first, but you're required to go first. Okay, great. Here's, here's what I'm going to do. Um, I'm going to rate it. Oh, would you? X. No, okay. no, I'm sorry. Hang on. Hang on. You, you gave Hideaway Folk Family <laughs> a 7.2. Okay, so for, for reference. A 7.2. Okay, okay, gosh. Gosh. Uh, I'm, I'm going um, to give Mr. Claw um, V-I-I-I-I, which is a nine, but spelled the wrong way in Good Roman Lord. numerals. Because um, you're so beca- bad, yeah, at Roman yeah. Numerals. Because because like I feel like I feel like to simply call it a nine out of ten misses the point of it. I feel like you have to use the wrong language and you have to use the wrong language wrongly. So Roman numerals a V with four eyes after. It. Uh, if I use my left hand to uh, exclusively to type in the score exactly, here, my exactly. What do I get? Up oh, right. I got the score is E five six seven four eight six five out of ten. Now, I, good, <laughs> I think good, my actual good, score. Good. Oh, I misspoke. Some point was my score on Highway Folk Family. I should be keeping track of my guest scores. I should just start now. I don't know why I haven't. I should pay someone to like go back and like skip to the end of every episode and find the, my guest scores. Because uh, there is a wiki page for this gonna... podcast, and it, it keeps track of my scores. Nice, nice, but not my guests. I mean, it nice. has it has a column for my guests, but no one's gone in and filled them filled them in. I should just pay someone to do it because right. I don't have the time yeah, to go yeah. through the, all these episodes. Should apply for an NEA grant <laughs> to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what am I giving it? I think it's one of those that is like, and, and and you know, I'm really just reiterating what we've both already said that it's genius in its stupidity. It's one of those like, yeah. I mean, it's like you go back to like you know, early slapstick comedy, like I mean, hell, back to Chaplin or like back to Three Stooges, where it's like. This is the stupidest thing, but it's fucking awesome. You know, like this is so entertaining in how dumb it is. Like it's lowbrow. It's like, 
I mean, they knew it was a B-side from the jump. You know, like, this is not getting the A-side with Hotel Detective on the B. Never would it do that. And they knew that, and they realized it. I love how you compared the tracks, and you're like, uh, I would love to, to know or get confirmation that, that, that they were... You know, you've got a woman and a man. Woman's got her shit together. Good at you know. Oh, I, I would I don't, love I don't, that. I don't suppose that they ever actually thought okay. that, right? I, I don't. I don't think that they said like, "Oh, we're going to do yeah, it like this." Subconsciously, um, I, <laughs> I, you know, I always, I always divorce authorial intent from gotcha. meaning. I just think that it just gotcha. acts like that. Um, yeah. Well, I, it's one of those songs where, like, if I was a new They Might Be Giants fan, and like, let's say, book was the very first thing I ever heard, or like. Even something like uh, uh, like Join Us was like the first album I ever heard. Slick, you know, very good album, but modern production, the modern quintet of the band. And then I heard Mr. Claw, I'd probably be like, uh, I appreciate it, but I still think it's like a three and I'd skip it. It was a song I never skipped. So I have more <laughs> appreciation for it than most, but I think looking at it, objectively rather than subjectively, I think it's probably, you know, like a six. I think kind of combining sure, my sure. subjective I mean, like, and objective is a, a music cr- critical, like music journalist, and it's all about ethics and music journalism, obviously. And then like my my childhood or like teenage take on the song, combining them, like the critic in me might be like, eh, it's kind of stupid but cool. I'd give it a five, and then my younger self might be like, oh, it's seven. You know, it's not a don't let's start or an Anna Ng. It's a seven. So that I'll meet him in the middle at six. Yeah. Here's here's the thing that I'll note about that. First of all, your score is completely fine. Completely, you know, I'm 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 here appearing as a guest on your podcast to say that 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 um, I approve <laughs> as some guy of your podcast judgment, and now you can finally, you know, rest <laughs> easy. Um, but but second of all, because this song is about. Um, emergence, you know, the emergence of Mister Claw, figuring oneself out, faking it mm-hmm. until you're making it. Um, um, I feel like there's no way to treat it objectively. It is about subjectivity. The subject is the object <laughs> in Mr. Claw. Um, and so, and so I feel like, you know, the, the, the fact that it has this, um, I don't know, unself-aware uh-huh. swagger, the fact that it isn't produced properly, um, I don't know. I feel like I feel like that is that is part of what yes. makes it work, and I feel like that's part of why I was able to give it a nine. Is being like it's doing what it's doing. It is itself. There is no other yeah, self. It that achieves it be. its goal perfectly. Um, perfectly, its goal is yeah. to kind of sound like crap. So it's it's you know it gets a ten out of ten <laughs> for yeah. that. I mean they yep. they didn't give Linnell yep. the guitar to like knock out like a perfect 80s power pop song no they gave it to him to make mr claw and they made mr claw uh the way it should have been made and a slick cover of the song would totally just undo the whole point of it uh uh and with that alex what do you have to plug these days Oh gosh, um, a few things. One, I am always working on um, uh, working on my music uh, with my main music project called Seeming S E E M I N G. We did a record a few years ago called The Birdwatcher's Guide to Atrocity, and we're working on our fourth album right now. Nice. It's going to be great. It comes out on Artifact Records cool. at some point. Uh, and that's the two, Swedish label. I am, uh, or Norway, uh, Icelandic, Icelandic yes. but yeah, yep, Iceland, yep. Um, two, uh, I write books. So I think that you and I probably talked about Laurie Anderson yes. last time, and I had probably been working on my Laurie Anderson book. That came out. That came out about a year and change, a uh, year and a half ago. Um, it is a it is a whole book about her album Big Science from 1982. It's um, I'm really really proud of this book, and I feel like it says a lot of really interesting, kind of important things, not just about her music, but about the 80s <laughs> um, and about media mm-hmm. in general. 
And uh, three, I have recently taken up uh, a project with my um, my colleagues Meredith Collins and Christy Tomachek called the Aegis Archive. Mm. This is, to my knowledge, uh, the world's largest archive of goth and industrial can you, zines. Can you say that again? And how do you spell that? Aegis, A E G I S. I never would have this guessed that. This is a five hundred one c three nonprofit. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so this is this is this is a nonprofit library. Uh, we're just getting started, but we've got you know a few thousand um, pieces of uh, ephemera from subculture of the eighties and nineties. You can find us at um, uh, aegisarchive.org. and. Um, um, yeah, that is, uh, that is what I've got to plug. Um, you'll hear more from us, but if you want to, you know, check us out, you can go to that website or you can follow us on social media where we're just listed as the Aegis Archive everywhere. Amazing. Yep. All right. Yeah. Let's, let's cap it off. I kept you a half hour later than we, than we thought, right, cool. but Mr. Claw deserved this much discourse <laughs> and discussion. So. Yes. So. Yes. Yeah. All you right, were the cool. per- perfect person to have on for this episode. So thanks for coming on again. Thank you. You may pick another song to do, uh, you know, if you want to reserve one for, you know, next year or something and, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk, we'll talk shop again on uh, weird team. Great. Great songs. Great. All right. All right. Thank you. Take care. Yeah. Mr. Claw. Mr. Van